556, the Bible says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach unless they are sent? Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and the third day rise from the dead. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. If you'll turn that page, let's sing People Need the Lord, 557.
ready? Let's sing one more time. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. The songwriter John W. Peterson said it this way. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening and maybe soon. Coming again, coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, friend. George Sweeting noted that more than a fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy. Predictive prophecy. Approximately one third of it is yet to be fulfilled. Both the Old and New Testaments are full of promises about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over 1,800 references appear in the Old Testament, and 17 Old Testament books give prominence to this theme. 
Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are more than 300 references to the Lord's return. One out of every 30 verses. 23 of the 27 New Testament books refer to this great event. Three of the four other books are single chapter letters written to individuals concerning a particular subject. And the fourth book that doesn't is Galatians, which does imply Christ coming again. He says for every prophecy of the first coming of Christ, there are eight on Christ's second coming. Now listen, I didn't give you all that for you to be able to process all those numbers and and get them all down. I said that to emphasize this. The Bible talks a lot about Jesus's second coming. And we find it this morning in our passage in the little book of first John. And I'd invite you there. First John chapter two. We're studying through this little book right now. And we find our place this morning at first John chapter two, verse twenty six. But to kind of get our bearings a little bit, we're going to back up and actually read beginning in verse 18 and read to the end of that chapter. So I'd ask you to follow along as I read God's word. First John chapter two, we'll begin our reading this morning on at uh, verse number 18. The Bible says in first John two eighteen, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist, the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing. From the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the son and in the father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. Now, our passage today begins at verse 26. These things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, we know that Jesus is coming again in verse 28, talks about that fact. It says, and now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, when he appears. Now, think about it for a moment. What is your response going to be when he appears? Think about that for a moment. When he appears, what's your response going to be? Joel Big said that spiritually healthy believers long for Christ. Second coming. They long for it. 
They desire it. They intently desire it. They long for Jesus to return again. John Calvin agrees with him. In fact, Calvin wrote and said, if we do not ardently look forward to the second coming of Christ, we've made little progress in the Christian life. We haven't gone very far in the Christian life. We're not looking forward to his return. So two questions confront us straight away this morning. Talking about his appearing. Number one, are you a believer? Are you born again? Are you ready for his appearing in that sense? Has there been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin? You've turned from your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all have sinned. I've sinned. You've sinned. We've all sinned. Only one has ever walked upon the face of the earth with no sin. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he died in our place. And he shed his precious blood. He was lifted between heaven and earth. And died and bled, taking upon himself our sin. The one who knew no sin took upon himself our sin. He was buried and then rose again victorious. The Bible says if you're going to go to heaven, if you're going to come to the Father, you'll only come one way, and that's through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to have that settled today. You're not ready for his coming in if that's not settled in your life. But you can settle that today. You can return from your sin and place your faith in Christ. Now, if you are a believer... Let me ask you this. Don't answer out loud. Are you longing for? Are you looking forward to? Are you eagerly anticipating the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, if Beak and Calvin are right, and I think they are, then our attitude as believers towards Christ's second coming, it reveals a lot about us. And it reveals a lot about the progress that we're, we're having and growing like him in our sanctification. Jesus is coming again. And when he appears, Christian, when he appears, we're going to have a response. We're either going to be confident, according to verse 28, or we're going to be ashamed. Those are the two options mentioned. Look at it again, verse 28. And now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him. At his coming. Now, John is writing, beloved, so that these readers that he's talking to and and we as well, we won't be ashamed of his coming. It's his desire and it's God's desire because God, the Holy Spirit, inspired him to write these words. It's God's desire that we be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I want to encourage all of us Christians. I want to encourage us to be able to meet Christ's return without shame, without embarrassment, without trepidation. But to look forward to and long for his return. <laughs> i got to share it with you. Three preachers were discussing the question. If Jesus Christ came back to earth, what church would he go to? <laughs> the Episcopalian in the group said he would go to the Episcopal church because of their line of apostolic succession. There was a holiness preacher in the group and the holiness preacher said he would go to the holiness church because of their enthusiasm. And of course, there was a Baptist in the group and the Baptist says, of course, he would go to the Baptist church. Why would he change after all these years? (laughs) That always goes over well in the Baptist church. don't, Don't tell it in the other churches. But Jesus is coming again. So how is it, Christian, that we will be ready and not ashamed at his coming. Well, four things are pointed out in these verses here. We find in this passage to help us to be ready, to be confident, and not be ashamed. And I want to give them to you very quickly today. Number one, 
If we're going to be ready and not ashamed, we have to make sure that we're not deceived. Don't be deceived. Verse 26, don't be deceived. Verse 26 says, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. I think one of the greatest lessons we can take away from this passage, this verse, is the realization, the reminder that there are people who are trying to deceive us. There are deceivers. There are those who are trying to lead us astray. And that realization helps keep our guard up and be ready for them. Now we know, and we've studied already, read it again this morning, there are many antichrists in the world. We talked about the fact that there is the Antichrist, the one coming at the end of the end, who will rise up in opposition and so forth. But it says there are many already, there are many Antichrists, these false teachers, these deceivers, these that are denying that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is God in the flesh and Jesus is the Savior. And we have many, many people that are out today deceiving people. Now, beloved, they may not even realize that some of them may not even realize that they're doing it. You see, because they're influenced, they're controlled by our enemy, Satan. And he uses people and they may not even realize they're antichrist. But nonetheless, they are. Now, Satan knows that if we're a true follower of Jesus, if we're a true child of God, he cannot damn us. We're forever born again, saved, have eternal life. So he knows he can't damn us. So he tries to do it. He tries to deceive us. He tries to lead us astray, to get us away from what we should be uh, believing and what we should be doing. He tries to move us that direction. I think we could also add the word in distract us, distraction. He seeks to deceive us and distract us. How many believers do you know today that are distracted? They're spending precious time and energy and effort and, and money on things that do not matter. I thought about it in our Wednesday night study. As I was thinking back this past Wednesday night, we studied the verse in First Timothy chapter four, verse seven talks about uh, Paul tells Timothy to reject profane and old wives fables to not spend time talking about stuff that doesn't matter to focus on the truth of the word of God, to focus on doctrine, to teach these things. So we live in a world where there are folks that are trying to deceive us and distract us and get us off where we ought to be. But if we're going to stand confident, and that word confident there means without fear, without shame, having a boldness that when Jesus returns, we can stand there without fear or trepidation, but rejoicing that our Savior is appearing. If we're going to do that, we dare not be deceived. But listen, I'm full aware that to just say, don't be deceived is easy to say. Right? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That's easy to say. How do you do it? It's kind of like saying, you need to lose some weight. That's easy to say. You need to save some money. That's easy to say. But, but how do we go about this idea of not being deceived? Because nobody says, hey, today I'm going to go out and see if I can get deceived, right? No, we don't do that. There's deception at hand. That's implied, right? So how do we do it? Well, the key is found in the next verse. The next thing I find here, and I want to share with you. If we're not going to be deceived, to be led astray and be distracted, verse 27, we learn we need to leave, we need to live rather, live a spirit filled, word filled life, live a spirit filled, word filled life. That is the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Verse 27 talks about the anointing that we've received, but the anointing which you've received from him abides in you. 
And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and it's not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now we come back, and we're talking about Christians here, the believers, and we talk about this anointing. If you're a Bible student, you think about anointing in the Bible. You think about maybe in the Old Testament, they would take oil and anoint people for a special task or a special service. It was a setting apart here. So it says here we're anointed. What are we anointed? What is this all about? Well, we learned about it in verse 20. Verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Then it's expanded here in verse 27. But you have an anointing which you have received. So we already have it from him who abides in you. Well, who abides in us? The Holy Spirit. And, and this anointing is it, it, not just something. It must be someone because it says you don't need that anyone teach you. The same anointing teaches you. Now, oil doesn't teach you, does it? You put oil on someone. I mean, it may be symbolic. It may have a meaning, but it's not teaching you. This anointing, again, beloved, is the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God indwells every believer. It says here the anointing abides in you. We've received it. And it says here, you do not need that anyone teach you. Now, if you are not careful, you can take that and twist that. Say, well, I don't need a preacher. I don't need a teacher. And I don't need anybody to teach me. That's not what he's saying. Because elsewhere, he says what? God has given the body teachers and preachers to lift up the body and edify the body. The idea is this. These false deceivers, these people out, what do they come and say? We've got some special revelation. We've got some special stuff for you. We, we, God has revealed some things to us that nobody else has ever seen before. Uh, there's some things we found that, that God has given to us. There's a message God has given to us. Listen, beloved, this is God's word. If it doesn't come from here, you better be very careful. We, we don't need some kind of special teaching. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the word of God. And that is sufficient. The canon is complete. What he says is, you don't need these special teachers. These people come in and say, listen, I know you know that, but I've got some special stuff. Some stuff you don't know, you need to understand. Now, now, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, and the Word of God. And it says it, that the Holy Spirit does what? Teaches you concerning all things, and is true. Can I say this? The Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to His Word. He's the author of this book. He's inspired the book. He used human authors, but he inspired them. He so worked through them. We have the very God-breathed Word of God, inerrant, infallible, authoritative. And you can't say, well, God, the, uh, God led me to do this if it goes against this book. Because God, the Holy Spirit, will never lead you contrary to what he says in this book. Because he guides in the truth. It's not a lie. It says, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. You see, the Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God and teaches us and helps us to stay in the will of God. And, and to be spirit filled, beloved, it's not some kind of weird thing. People think, well, well. What does it mean to be a spiritual? It doesn't mean there's a there's a blue mist about you or there's a green R. If that's the case, go take a shower. But that's not the idea at all. To be filled with the spirit of God means to be controlled by, to be led by. You're, you're surrendering your body, your life, your mind to his control. It means you're obedient to what he teaches you in his word. Now, you have to understand something. Every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling. Not a piece of the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit indwelling. God, the Holy Spirit. We have all the Holy Spirit we're ever going to have indwelling us right now. The question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? 
That's the key. As you surrender to his leadership in your life, his, his, his guidance in your life. That's what a spirit filled life is like. So we need to live a spirit filled life and a word filled life. And the Holy Spirit is our teacher and he teaches us his word and he guides us and helps us not to be deceived. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with this book, when those deceivers come, we know that's not true. He teaches us. But there's a third thing here. If we're not going to be ashamed of his appearing, first of all, don't be deceived. Second of all, live a spirit filled, wordful life. But thirdly, abide in him. Verse 28, look what it says. And now, little children, a term of affection. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears... We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, there's a sense. Now, hear me. There's a sense in which we already abide in him. We already, as believers, abide in Christ. We're in Christ because he's our savior. He's our Lord. The Holy Spirit abides in us. We see that talked about there in verse 27. But here in verse 28, he tells us to abide in him. So how does it work then? We already abide in him, but we're to abide in him. We already have it, but we're told to do it. What in the world does he mean? But it comes back to what I've said so many times. And that is you have divine sovereignty. That is God is sovereign. He's in control. He's God. But you also have human responsibility. Now, God is working to make us as believers like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other side of that, we have to cooperate with his working in our life. What I mean by that is God is at work in us, but he also uses us in the process, does he not? If we're going to know this book, we have to make a choice to read this book and to study his word and spend time. It it doesn't just work. You don't just lay it on your pillow at night and it sinks through. It just doesn't happen magically. You have to make the choice to open God's word and study it, to be in preaching service, to be in Sunday school, to be in Wednesday night Bible study, to pray. We have to open our mouths to share Christ, the lost person, right? And yeah, they can see it in our lives, I hope. But somewhere along the line, we have to open our mouths and use our voice that God's given us and say, let me share with you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, so have human responsibility, divine sovereignty. So the easiest way to describe it, I guess, is to say, how do you abide in Christ? How do you do that? I think abiding in Christ, the easiest way to explain it is this way. It means to fellowship with him and obey him. In other words, fellowship and obedience equals abiding. Fellowshipping with him, communing with him, and obeying him. He says what in his word? What did he say? If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. So fellowship and obedience equals abiding. And all this ties together, doesn't it? So beautifully. Now, I'm, I'm supposed to be, uh, I'm not supposed to be deceived. I know that. And I'm also supposed to abide in Christ. And so to do these things, I have to live a spirit-filled, word-filled life. The, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, teaches it to me. I abide in Christ because I already know Him. I'm already in Christ, but also abide in the sense that I obey Him. And I listen to what He says. And when I do all of that, it helps to keep me from deception. It helps to keep me from being led astray and distracted. But there's a fourth thing here. We're almost done. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, that's a given. We know the Lord is righteous. We know Jesus is righteous. 
you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The fourth thing we're to do is we're to practice righteousness. Now, I've worded it as an action, practice righteousness. But verse 29 has it listed as an outcome. In, in other words, it's a proof that we're abiding. Read it again, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. It's a proof that you are already born again. So you say, well, preacher, why did you word it as an action if it's listed as an outcome? If it's a proof? If it's something that just happens because you are in him. Well, the reason I did is because it comes back to that idea of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. In other words, there's a delicate balance here. I have to make the choice to obey him. I have to make the choice to live a spirit filled life. I have to make the choice to live a word filled life. You see, beloved, Jesus is coming again. We do not know the hour. We do not know the day. If someone gives you a date or a time, they're a false prophet. Ignore them. Reject them. Don't listen to them. Jesus says nobody knows. But we know it could be any day. Nothing has to happen. The next great event we're looking for is the rapture. And when he comes, we want to be ready. And I assume that you're like me, Christian. I assume this point that when Jesus comes, I know I don't want him to find me doing anything that I'd be ashamed of. When he got here, I don't want him to find me anywhere that I'd be ashamed that I was found there. I don't want to be ashamed when he appears. You see, beloved, if we'll keep this truth of the second coming before us, it will help us in so many ways. I think of four great ways it'll help us. Number one, I think it will help us with our purity. It'll help us with our purity. We live in a dirty world. Did you know that? And I'm not talking about the trash along the roads. As sad as that is, I'm talking about the filth, the decay, the sin, the vileness of our society. It is all around us. It's abounding. It attacks us from every angle. I don't want to be tied up in that when Jesus appears. It'll help with my purity. Remember, Jesus could come back right now. I don't want to be found looking at that or doing that or listening to that or reading that. Because Jesus could, could come in right now. I think secondly, it will help us with our clarity. Our clarity. In other words, there are so many options in our world. Aren't you amazed? There was a day you need to go into a grocery store and buy some items. There's four or five choices at the most. Now there's 55 choices. How many places are there to go and things to do and decisions to make and money to spend? It'll help give some clarity. Why? Because it helps my priorities. That I want Jesus Christ first in my life. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. It'll help with my clarity. I think thirdly, it'll help us to have urgency. Urgency. In other words, I'm not going to keep putting off doing what God's told me to do. Jesus is coming again, beloved. He's coming again. If you've got lost loved ones, don't sit around saying, well, I'll tell them tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow, number one, from your own physical standpoint. You could die and go to heaven today, and Jesus could return again today. You better tell him today. So there's an urgency there. And I think, fourthly, it will help us to do our duty. That is, God doesn't want us to quit life. One of the things you see people have done is they think, well, Jesus is coming in. I'm going to just go put on a white robe, and I'm going to go up on a mount somewhere and sing Kumbaya. <laughs> That is not the way the Lord wants us to live. 
Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. If Christ were coming again tomorrow, I would plant a tree today. I got to thinking about that. What in the world does he mean? And I don't know what he meant, but I think here's what he's getting at. I think what he was getting at, and I'd have to ask him to get to heaven, but he meant this. We carry on even though Jesus is coming. We, we keep living. We keep going. We keep serving. We keep doing what we're supposed to do. The return of Christ should impact our daily lives, not to the point we sit down and do nothing. Even so come, Lord Jesus. No. We keep on keeping on for him. Listen, if the fact that Jesus is coming, let's say, and we don't know, and it's heresy, but let's just do a hypothetical. If we knew Jesus was coming again tomorrow, and he could come tomorrow, it could come today. But if he is coming tomorrow, if you have to change everything about your life, you say, well, Jesus is coming again tomorrow. If you have to change everything about your life, let's make it a little bit longer. Let's make it the end of the week. He's coming on Saturday. You look at your schedule this week. If you have to change everything about your schedule, it shows you just how far out of line your life really is. And just how far your priorities really are. Now, I'm going to be honest. I think all of us would change something. We'd change something. But if you've got to change everything because Jesus is coming again on Saturday, that shows you where you are, doesn't it? Something is wrong. Now, do you see how the reality and keeping in our mind and our heart the second coming of Christ impacts us in so many ways? So I come back to where we started. Where the fellow said spiritual, healthy believers long for the second coming of Christ. I think he's right. Do you long for it? Are you a believer? And if you are, are you living in such a way where you're ready? You're excited about Jesus coming again. If not, why don't you make that right today? This was long before my time, but during the 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport. Colonel Davenport was the speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. And one day, way back in 1789, before all of our time, the sky of Hartford was darkened ominously, so much so, some of the representatives were glancing out the windows, they feared that the end, the end was at hand. I mean, this that kind of weather. They thought, this is it. Well, quelling the clamor of the immediate adjournment, the call for the immediate adjournment, Davenport rose and said these words. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no need for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. Beloved, rather than fearing the future and what is to come, we ought to be faithful for the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of fearing the dark, we're to be as lights and watch and wait and live for his honor and his glory. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready? Father. Thank you for the promise of our Lord's return. Lord, I pray in these closing moments together. If anyone here does not know for certain that their sin is forgiven. 
that Christ is their Savior and heaven is their home, I pray that during this invitation hymn, you would allow them to step out. You would move them to step out and allow somebody to take a Bible and lead them to the cross. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers. I pray your Holy Spirit to put his finger on anything in our life that we'd be ashamed over if Jesus were to walk in the room. To live pure, clean, focused lives for Christ. Lives that are spirit-filled and word-filled. Lord, that you would keep us from deception and distraction. And help us to live our lives for your honor and your glory. We love you and praise you and thank you for this time. And thank you for what you're going to do now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to set everything aside for a moment as we sing this closing hymn and allow God to work in your life. 202, I thought we'd sing after a hymn, after a sermon like this about his coming. All hell, the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, fall, and crown him Lord of all. 202, and as we sing, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're not certain that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, would you step out? I'll meet you down here. I'll simply welcome you and place you with someone who will take a Bible and lead you to the cross. And then, Christian, you have that part settled. But maybe there's some things in your life you need to come talk to the Lord about and get to that point where you say, listen, I'm longing for his return. I'm looking for it. I'm ready for it. You come and pray today. For one getting baptized, you can step out and be getting ready. As we all stand, 202, all hell the power of Jesus' name. 202, let's stand and sing.